This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Heather Ash Amara. Heather Ash is the founder of Tochi, the Toltec Center of Creative Intent, which fosters local and global community that supports authenticity, awareness, and awakening. She is dedicated to inspiring depth, creativity, and joy by sharing the most potent tools from a variety of world traditions. She brings an open-hearted, inclusive worldview to her writings and teachings, which are a rich blend of Toltec wisdom, European shamanism, Buddhism, and Native American ceremony. With Sounds True, Heather Ash Amara has created a new online course, The Warrior Goddess Online Training, Becoming the Woman You Are Meant to Be, an eight-week online training series filled with teachings, meditations, and healing practices, along with two live question-and-answer sessions with Heather Ash Amara. The Warrior Goddess Training Program begins on April 4, 2016. You can visit SoundsTrue.com for more information. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Heather Ash and I spoke about what she calls stalking yourself and how to discover the freedom and power of choice that lies beneath every challenge. We talked about her decision to be vulnerable as a teacher and to love all of it, including the discomfort. We talked about how important it is for women to speak out even when fear is present and to develop an intimacy with ourselves, including our bodies, no matter what the shape or size. Finally, we talked about Heather Ash's work as a firewalking instructor and how firewalking helps us break through limiting beliefs. Here's my conversation with the warrior goddess, Heather Ash Amara. Heather Ash, you were an apprentice for many years with Don Miguel Ruiz, the best-selling author of The Four Agreements. And to begin our conversation, I'd be curious to know how you met Don Miguel Ruiz. And if you could, if you could summarize for us, what were the main things you learned studying with him? Mm, great question. I was apprenticing with someone else, and I had a dream. And in that dream, I remember waking up and realizing there's someone else I'm going to study with. There's someone coming into my life that's going to completely change my life. And I thought to myself, where am I going to meet this man? I lived in a really small town in Northern California, and there were not a lot of shamans running around up there. And about a week later, someone came into my office and said, oh my gosh, you have to meet this man. And my whole body froze, and I knew this was him. And my first thought was, I'm not ready. And it actually took me about a year to feel like I was ready to meet Don Miguel. And when I first walked into the room where he was speaking, I immediately fell in love with the community, with the depth, with the dedication that I felt and also with Miguel. And I was really blessed because the next month he took on a group of apprentices. And so I was able to step right in and working with him very mm -hmm. closely for the next six years. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the key things you learned in that period. To really pay attention. So deep awareness and the willingness to stay steady with what was going on in my mind. So I learned that I was not my thoughts. I was not my mind. I learned how to witness 
both my emotional body, my physical body, and my mental being, to not take myself personally, and to really go deeper into what are the beliefs and agreements that don't serve me. And to, to learn to what we call stock. So stocking is that capacity to track our thoughts and to follow them back to where they, the agreements originated that don't serve us. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of stocking and how it works? It's the first time I've heard that phrase. How does that work? Stalking comes from, if you watch large cats stalking their prey, they stalk their prey over days, and they know where their prey sleeps, where it feeds, where it eats, and they'll wait till there's the right moment before they go for it. And when we're stalking ourselves, it's the same thing that we are watching ourselves with that same incredible patience and presence. And so often when we see something about ourselves we don't like or where there's something that we want to change, we immediately want to fix it or change it or make it different. And stalking teaches us to stay steady with ourselves and to look at how do our agreements affect our actions? How do our agreements affect our life? And instead of trying to change it immediately, we wait and see how is it all held together before we go in to start to dismantle it. And I found that to be incredibly effective in creating transformation. Can you give me an example of a stalking experience that was really important during that period of time for you? How you did that inside and what you found? I would say one of the biggest experiences I had when was when I made a decision to go into silence for 40 days. And my desire to do that was from wanting to quiet my mind. And what happened is the first week was so difficult. And I got to see how really crazy my mind was, how loud my mind was. And that was one of the, I'd say one of the first big stalking experiences that I had because I couldn't escape. What happened is that as I stopped talking, the voice in my head became louder and louder, and I couldn't avoid it. There was nowhere to go. And so it taught me to get quiet and just to watch the voice go by. And the voice is what I now call disaster, disaster mind. So what I noticed about my mind is that it would live in the past or it would live in the future, and that there was a lot of fear running. The first time that I really saw it, I was driving to work down this little windy road where I lived, and I heard this voice, and it sounded something like this. Oh, my God, you're late to work. You're late to work. He's going to be really mad at you. You're doing the silence, and he's already going to be upset with you that you're doing the silence, and now you're going to be late. He's probably going to fire you, and what's going to happen? Did I turn the oven off? I can't remember if I turned the oven off. I should go back. I should probably turn around and go turn the oven off. No, keep going. Remember that person that their oven was on and the house burned to the ground and they lost everything and I'm going to be homeless because I'm not going to have a job and then I'm going to have to live at my friend's house and nobody's going to love me anymore. And as I'm driving, I'm watching this whole scenario play out in my head. And I realized I was making it real by the way that I was believing it. And so as the silence progressed, I was able to start separating myself to just watch what my mind was doing so that the thoughts were not affecting my emotional body. Before, when I wasn't conscious of my thoughts, what would happen is a thought would arise. I wouldn't notice the thought. I would have an emotional reaction to the thought and I would find myself in fear or in distress or in confusion and sometimes not even know why. Mm -hmm. And one one place that it really also stood out and why stalking is so important is that when we start to witness what our mind is up to and how it's triggering our emotional body and start to recognize it's not true, we're at choice then to choose to feed that thought or not feed that thought and to train ourselves to stay in the present, in the stillness, in the moment, rather than following the train of the thought, that we come back into the present, 
that we stay in the stillness in the moment and teach our mind how to stay here rather than going into the past or going into the future. Mm -hmm. Now, I read in your book, Warrior Goddess Training, that the word Toltec means artist of the spirit. And, you know, I absolutely love that phrase, being an artist of the spirit. And I wonder what that means to you. And if you could make a link between what you're talking about here, what you learned with Don Miguel Ruiz and becoming an artist of the spirit. I love the word artist because it's about creativity. And it's about using all of our life as our art. And so we look at the raw materials of our life, which is all of our experiences, the wonderful experiences, the painful experiences, the challenges and the gifts as part of our art. And that we can begin to craft how we want to live our lives. And one of the biggest things I learned from working with Don Miguel is that we can open to being curious and excited about everything that arises. So before I was worked with Miguel, what I noticed is that when a difficult thing arose or if there was something about myself I didn't like, I would immediately go into judgment and into resistance. I don't want that. I don't like that. I want that to be different. And there was a lot of negative self-talk and also a looking at what was negative outside and trying to push it away. What I learned is that when we're artists, we're open-hearted with everything that arises because it's bringing us information mm -hmm. about what our old beliefs are. And there's a way now, things will arise in my life that are super challenging, and I'll go, okay, this is going to be a good one. Because I know behind every challenge, there's freedom. Okay, I'm going to need to have a little bit more explanation there. How is it that behind every challenge, there's freedom? I think most people find themselves feeling quite constricted when there's a challenge and kind of cornered in a certain type of way. When we have challenges arise in our life, what we're witnessing is our belief system, is our agreements. The world mirrors our agreements to us. And when we begin to open ourselves from that place of curiosity, not from the place of, I did something wrong, therefore this difficult thing is happening, or I'm being punished. That's not what we're saying at all. But of, from a place of curiosity, this thing is happening. What belief might I be holding that would cause me to react the way I'm reacting? And again, it's that awareness that then allows us to feel into, do I want to keep this? Do I want to mm -hmm. shift this? Again, I think it would be useful if you could give me an example in your own life of a tough situation in which you found freedom, how that happened. I'll share about something that just recently happened to me, which was I just moved and I sat down and calculated how many times I've moved in my life. And it was 40. This is my 40th move. In Holy. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. That's what I said too. So we moved around a lot when I was a kid. And as an adult, even though I lived in the same college town for 12 years, I moved 13 times in that period. And I've moved a lot ever since. And what I recognized about 10 years ago is how much trauma, every time I moved, I had a lot of trauma. It was really difficult. And before then, I hadn't really noticed it because I'd like forced my way through and pushed my way through to make it happen. But as my awareness started growing, I realized how hard it was and that the, the challenge of leaving places I loved over and over as a child was still in my body. And so... I started playing with how to make moving easier for myself. And so I played with a couple different ways of doing it over the years. And this last move was the easiest move I've ever made. It was joyful. It was fun. It went really smoothly. And then the day after my move, I crashed. And 
was really upset, felt really heartbroken, um, was depressed, which is not something that normally is in my life. And I sat with it and really open to what's going on. Because at first I wanted to, like, I have a new house, I should be happy. So I just stopped and got quiet and listened. And what I recognized is that that old trauma from the moves was just up. And I didn't need to feed it. I didn't need to repress it. I just needed to be with myself and just honor that there was emotion that was up. And then look at what's the agreement, what's the belief. So the old agreement and belief, every time we moved, what the belief was is, is I have no control. That was true. But also, I'm going to lose everything because that happened over and over again. And so I got to really look at and feel into, I made this choice to move. It's a great move. And you're not going to lose everything, sweetie. And so I was able to shift it. But it just took some time. I spent part of the day in bed, hung out with myself. And then eventually I was able to to really stay with myself in such a way that it shifted. And I found that that's what's really important with working with ourselves is when we bring gentleness and love and compassion for ourselves around what agreements or what trauma we might have from the past, that we're then able to really listen to what do we need to transform. And we stay with ourselves, with where we really are, rather than abandoning ourselves by looking at where we think we should be or what should be happening. It's a really different way of being in relationship with ourselves. Mm -hmm. What you're describing is reminding me of a quote that I pulled out of your warrior goddess training book that I really liked. And here's the quote you write, as a warrior goddess, your strength is in embracing the challenges of life, loving all of you, including your weakness, and in saying yes to discomfort. And I thought, wow, this is a very unusual approach to finding strength. And I, th I thought we could talk briefly just about all three of these different aspects of warrior goddess strength. The first, embracing the challenges of life. This is really what you're describing. If you just want to maybe say more about that, and we'll go through each one of these. It's really a gift to ourselves when we recognize there's always going to be challenges. As long as we're in a physical body, and we're on this planet, and we're breathing, there are going to be challenges. And that, how I see it is that as we're moving through our lives, we set intent, we set goals, we have desires. And what happens is either we manifest those intents, they, show, they manifest because we're ready, or, and there's nothing in our way, or every obstacle that's between us and what we want starts to show up. And that's not a bad thing. I see it as a universe. We say to the universe, hey, universe, I want this new thing, or I want a new job, or I want to have more self-love. And what happens is then every place that we're not in self-love starts to show up. And the universe is like, great, you want this? Then this needs to be cleaned up. Here you go. And so if we can see the challenges are the offering of what needs to be cleaned, then when things arise, there's almost an excitement that starts to happen because mm -hmm. we know when I clean this up, I'm closer to what it is that I want to create in my life. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a different view. I think most people, when a challenge comes up, it's something they uh, push away or they think something bad's happening. So I think you're, that's what I like about this quote is that you're turning things on their head. The next one you say that as a warrior goddess, our strength is in loving all of ourselves, including our weakness. Yes. And if it worked that women hating themselves brought more peace, then we'd all be superior, incredibly peaceful at this point. Because what I've seen is that the level of self-hatred, judgment, and criticism that we have towards ourselves is so high 
And we somehow think if I just criticize myself enough, if I judge myself, then I will grow and become a better person. And sometimes we even take on a spiritual judge that is still the judge. It just is now wearing a different outfit and saying, well, if you were really good, you would be meditating much more. And if you were really spiritual, you would be loving much more. It's still our judge. And so this idea of turning towards our weaknesses, turning towards the places that we're in fear, turning towards the places that we are judging ourselves. And instead of trying to push through or force to start to love all aspects of ourselves, pushing away what our experience is or what our weaknesses are doesn't serve anybody. But being courageous and brave enough to face them, to name them, to find out what the gifts are within them, because with every weakness, there's a gift. What I found so often, I find this with myself and with the women that I work with, when we're willing to learn, and it's a learning, to shift from judgment to gratitude, to shift from self-rejection to accepting. We, don't, we might not like it, but we can practice accepting. This is what is. Then we actually have much more space and capacity to change things. We're much more able to be the artist of our life when we're bringing in compassion and presence. And it's counterintuitive, but I can say it works. I noticed, Heather Ash, when you shared that in the midst of this new move, house move that you're in, that you spent half a day in bed really being with yourself and being with the fact that there's still a part of you that was triggered, a trauma that was triggered from moving for the 40th time. Part of me was like, wow, she's sharing that. She's just sharing that, that she spent half a day in bed. That's very unusual that most teachers might not, you know, want to confess, you know, this is how I spent, you know, the day before yesterday or, or whatever it was. And I'm just curious to hear about that, that your, your willingness to just be transparent and vulnerable in that way. I found that I learn best from people that are sharing where they're at. And I just made a decision a long time ago that I could be a teacher that was trying to be something that I thought people wanted. And there was a point in my life where I really had a, a fork in the road, we can say, where it's a very challenging situation. And I was faced with, do I want to be where I'm at and be honest and truthful for what's going on with me? Or do I want to pretend that I'm in a different place than I am and what's, what's needed here? And I really got, I want to stay with myself and use myself as a role model of being in the middle of a process. I know I'm, I'm not done and I don't expect I'll ever be done. I don't think there is a done. And so to be honest about what my experience is, I hope will help other women to not judge themselves or compare themselves or feel like there's a goal that we reach if we're really, really good, or if we've written a book, or if we've been on a spiritual path for a long time. But to really support all of us, myself included, in staying with ourselves and loving all of it, being with all of it. Sometimes it's messy, and sometimes it's graceful. And one of my wishes is to help all of us to stop creating differentiation between this is good and this is bad, but to really show up with this is, and how do I want to bring myself towards it? Mm -hmm. How can I bring love and grace and presence even when it's messy and snotty and uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to this third point from this excerpt that I pulled from the Warrior Goddess training book, which is, as a warrior goddess, our strength is in saying yes to discomfort. Mm. 
We spend so much of our lives trying to avoid discomfort and creating great suffering by doing that. And often discomfort can mean that we've hit the edge of what we know. When we feel safe all the time, what that means is that we're staying in the box of the known. We're staying within our agreements and what we've learned, who we should be. So as women, in order to grow, in order to expand, we really want to find where our edge is and stretch ourselves so that we're stepping into discomfort because that means we're getting to the edge of what we know. We're starting to push against those old agreements. If we just stay comfortable, then nothing's going to change. It's in the willingness to say, yes, I will move towards the discomfort and stay with myself to the other side of it because the other side is the mystery. And living in that place of mystery means that all things are possible and that we can change who we are, how we're in relationship to the world. And it's not easy. It's definitely not easy, and it gets more comfortable. My community sometimes laughs that we we say discomfort is the new comfort mm-hmm. because there is a way that that you start realizing, ah, discomfort. Okay, good. Here we go. There's something moving. I'm bumping up against something that's been limiting me, and now I'm about to break through it. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that before. It makes me want to join your community and hang out. Discomfort is the new comfort. That's where I belong, with a bunch of comfortably uncomfortable people. Exactly, who have a tremendous amount of fun in our discomfort. Yeah. Now, you said something interesting, Heather Ash, that I just want to understand better. You said finding freedom in the midst of challenges in life, that, that this is something that you've learned and something that's very important to you. Tell me more about the freedom. Freedom means choice. When we're free, what that means is that in this moment, I can choose where I want to put my attention and my energy. That for me is the definition of freedom. And so the freedom within challenges of moving through challenges means that I'm looking at the places where I've limited myself, the agreements that I've taken on. And sometimes the agreements we take on come from our parents, they come from our ancestors, they come from the society that we're in. You know, examples of places that women haven't been free is that, you know, a lot of us were told, don't speak up. Mm-hmm. You know, girls don't speak up. You have to be quiet. You have to be nice all the time. And while being a nice person is a wonderful attribute, holding I have to be nice all the time is very detrimental and a place that we've limit, we limit ourselves, for example, or holding our voice back because we don't think that our voice is important. I feel like it's part of what's gotten us into the mess with the planet that we're in right now. And so women bringing their voice forward is so important. And looking at what are the other agreements that we've carried forward that are causing us to not be free internally. Now, I think it's true, as you point out, that for many women, speaking up is quite challenging, really being a truth teller in many, many situations. And I'd be curious to know, first of all, why you think it's so hard. Why is that so hard, and particularly for women? And then secondly, how do you help women become outspoken truth-tellers? I think there's a lot of reasons why it's challenging for women to hold their voice. There's a long history of belief that women have a very particular role to play, which is having kids and raising the family. And that that's old, what we call domestication, 
just the way that we're trained. And it's something that's been passed down. And, and even now in the modern age where women, exactly, where women, especially in the United States, have a ton of freedom, we can have any job that we want pretty much, we can decide who we want to mate with, we can vote, but that hasn't been true for many, many years and is still not true for many women around the world. And so those, that old mindset that women don't have a voice, that women are not really to be counted, has just come through even to today. And so there's an energy that's we, that gets passed down so there's an energy that gets passed down through the generation that we still carry. And that's part of our work as warrior goddesses, I believe, is to shed the old beliefs that don't serve us, to really consciously recognize, I don't need to carry this forward. And to then bring our voices into the mix, knowing that we're important. But it's really uncomfortable and also shocking sometimes for women to start to look at what they believe by looking at their actions rather than what they think about themselves to watch what our actions are. You know, I find this with myself that I consider myself a pretty outspoken woman and yet there's places where I'll find myself suddenly getting shy, suddenly thinking, oh, I don't want to offend anybody or I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. And I have to really stop and go, sweetie, is that really true? Is that really what you want to hold? Is that you or is that from something that you've taken on from the past? And so that mindfulness of what we're telling ourselves internally is so important so that, again, we can be at choice. Freedom doesn't mean those old voices go away completely. It means that even when they arise, we're able to stop and choose what's in alignment and integrity for ourselves rather than just defaulting to that old voice. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts just for visiting us. Go to soundstrue.com backslash free. That's soundstrue.com backslash free. And now back to Insights at the Edge. I'm curious what your counsel would be in working with a woman who might say something like, you know, what I notice is a deep fear of being burned at the stake, of being some type of outspoken heretic in my time. And that fear comes up, this tremendous fear, and I keep quiet. I don't speak up. I don't raise my hand. I don't write the book or make the recording, or speak in a meeting, even though I have something to say. And I hear what Heather Ash is saying, that I need to drop these agreements, but they feel so strong, I'm so afraid. Yeah, it's a great question, and I hear that a lot, because the fear is so strong. It, is, it can be really, really intense when we start to step out, and when we start to cross that line of where our being says, this is safe, and that is not safe. And so whether it's from past life, whether it's from collective unconscious, whether it's from experiences that you had as a child of being hit or being shut down in any way, that trauma that we hold in our body, we want to attend to it in the same way. It doesn't really matter where it came from. What we want to do is first just acknowledge the fear, be with the fear. And 
to not feed it. So there's what I counsel people is to, to begin to separate the emotion from the story. So the story will feed the emotion. And what we're used to doing is having an emotion, telling ourselves a story about the emotion that intensifies the emotion. And then we get stuck. We often start to cycle or we just go, oh my God, too much. I'm just going to repress this. And so the way out, the pathway out is to begin to be with the emotion and breathe through it and show up with it and separate the story out. So do our best to not start telling ourselves the story about the emotion, but just show up with curiosity. Okay, I have fear. Just like yesterday when I was in bed, I was like, okay, I'm feeling depressed and flat and heartbroken. (sighs) I can make up a whole bunch of stories. I mean, I could have gone into the past and justified why I feel this way and looked at all the experiences that I'd had and then started telling myself a story about what a mess I was, that I'd moved so much and what was wrong with me. I should be subtle. I mean, we can spin stories and keep emotions going forever. But when we're... We can just stay with, I have fear, period. Fear is arising, period. And then just breathe into the fear. Notice where is it in our bodies? How does it make us act? And in a way, befriend the fear. I like to think of like we stand next to it and say, I'm right here. I'm not going to shut you down. I'm not going to feed the fire. I'm just going to stand right here with you. And if we can bring our calmness, and our presence to that fear, then things start to shift. And that's, so that's part one. Part two is to start taking little risks. So what I support all of us in doing is taking baby steps when we're making change. So instead of saying to ourselves, I'm going to always speak my truth no matter what, which is a big step to say, okay, today with a stranger, I'm going to say something that's true for me. So we take it into something really small and we run it as an experiment. And I love experiments. Experiments are so fabulous because it takes out the whole, I have to do it right. I don't know how to do it and puts it into the context of art. I'm experimenting, I'm exploring, I'm creating. And so we then begin to experiment in some small way. How can I bring my voice forward? And when we tap into our wisdom, when we're willing to show up with our emotion, what also happens is we start being able to listen to our wisdom as well. And our wisdom will say, oh, here's a perfect place. Speak your truth right here. Or we can look at a place that would be a great place to practice. That's small. So we don't start with the biggest thing in our lives. You know, the best place to start is probably not, I'm going to tell my boss exactly what I think. Or I'm going to go call my father and tell him all the ways that he hurt me. But instead to say, okay, with my best friend, can I say something that I've been withholding? Can I call her and say, hey, remember when I said I wanted to go to that movie with you yesterday? Well, I really don't want to see that movie. And even that, even something that small or saying at lunch when someone asks, what would you like to have for lunch? And you usually say, whatever, I'm fine with whatever everybody else wants to practice saying, I want Italian. And the first time that we use our voice or the first few times that we use our voice in this way, it's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel scary. But we'll grow our power and our capacity through taking those little actions and staying with ourselves, again, through the discomfort until it becomes natural, until it becomes the new habit to speak our truth. That's good. It's very helpful. Now, Heather Ash, I've been referring several times to your book, Warrior Goddess Training, and you've created a new online training program with Sounds True 
that's on this warrior goddess material. And I'm curious to know this phrase, becoming a warrior goddess. Can you talk me through a little bit the warrior part and the goddess part? Absolutely. I am so excited about the online course and sharing these teachings around warrior and goddess, which are so powerful for women today. So the warrior energy is about our clarity, our focus, and about our 100% yes. That warrior energy says, I'm in, I'm committed, I'm here. The goddess energy is about opening. It's about surrender, receiving incredible creativity, and bringing our pleasure and our joy forward. So the warrior energy says, I'm going there. I will do whatever I need to get there. It's that dedication. And the goddess energy says, I'm going there. How shall I make it as pleasurable as possible? And how can I bring as many of my friends along with me? And how can I do this in a creative way? And we really need both of those energies. We need to cultivate more warrior commitment presence as well as we want to cultivate more surrender opening play. And it's not that we're trying to balance, I should be 50% warrior and 50% goddess and then I'll have the right mix. It's that we're wanting to find what's our blend Some people are naturally more warrior-oriented. Some people are naturally more goddess-oriented. We want to be able to to be fluid, to use each of these qualities where they're needed, and then also honor what's our natural state, what's true for us. As we also shed the old layers, sometimes we create shells or armoring that is like a warrior armoring, which is not our true state. It's something we've taken on to make us feel safe. And we can do that with the goddess energy as well. Use it as a shell rather than as our authentic expression. We want to be willing to get to know ourselves. And I see this path, the warrior goddess path, is a path of self-intimacy. It's a path of getting to know ourselves and becoming our own best friend, becoming a cheerleader for ourselves, becoming a calm, present, peaceful ally to ourselves. One of the interesting aspects of becoming our own best friend that you address in the Warrior Goddess training is something that I think many women find challenging, which is developing a relationship to our bodies that is friendly instead of critical and judgmental. And I wonder if you can talk some about that, how you help women free themselves from prevailing cultural ideas about body image and instead turn towards intimacy. Mm. Yes, it's a, a big piece of it for us as women, because what's mirrored to us, if we look at the media and magazines and advertising, there's a very particular look of what we should be like. And very few of us are actually like that. And so what I encourage women to do is to begin to really look at other women's bodies. Instead of basing everything off the magazines, to actually go look at other women. What do other women look like? And what you'll find immediately is that we are all so incredibly varied. And to bring a willingness to look with new eyes, because we're so trained to look through those eyes of the perfect body. And yet we can train ourselves, just like we were trained to look ourselves a particular way, we can retrain ourselves to be curious about what's true. And what's true is that our bodies are amazing and incredibly varied. And so
So every time you look in the mirror, you can notice what part of myself am I judging? And then ask yourself, why am I judging that part of my body? Where did I learn to judge that part of my body? Because you were not born judging that part of your body. As a child, you did not judge your body. You were in it. You loved it. It was this incredible tool, this incredible playground. So we want to get back to that truth of the joy we can have in our bodies when we're living from the inside rather than judging ourselves from the outside. And so when you notice you're judging things to then look at, okay, how do other women look? And don't look at the magazines. That doesn't count. That, those are photoshopped. They're, it's not real. It's not even a real reflection. And what I found is that over time, we can start retraining ourselves, but it's always going to be a challenge, I think, for most women, that the body image piece is, is always going to be someplace that we have to come back to reminding ourselves, stay with me rather than look at who I should be. And so it becomes a worthy awareness practice to keep coming back to our experience from the inside over and over again, rather than our judgment. But let's say our experience is I'm looking in the mirror at myself and I just feel bad about what I see. And I know I can look at a lot of other women and some look the way I wish I looked and some don't, but I want to look the way I wish I looked. So what do I do with all of those feelings? Be with them and experience opening to where do they really come from? What are you really wanting? So we're craving something and we've been told what you're craving is to have this particular body, but that's just a surface thing. And so underneath it, what are you really craving? What are you really wanting? And if you start to be willing to pull the layers out, to start to go deeper, this is where the intimacy comes in, to tell yourself the truth and to keep going deeper. What you might find is at first it's, I want to look a particular way because I want people to like me. I want to be attractive. I want to feel good about myself. Um, And if you keep going deeper, what you might find is, I'm only going to love myself if I look a particular way. Or everyone's going to ignore me unless I have uh, the body that I would like to have. Or I'm going to be abandoned if I don't lose 40 pounds. So as we start peeling the layers back, we start getting to the core of what's actually happening. And it's never what it appears to be. And when we get to the core, so if there's a fear of abandonment or there's a fear of not being taken seriously then we can begin to explore what action can we take for ourselves so that we take ourselves seriously, so that we don't abandon ourselves, to bring it back to our relationship with ourselves. And then we can be at choice. Then we might feel, okay, I do want to lose 40 pounds. Then the motivation is for ourselves, not because we're trying to get something from that. Or we might feel, oh, I want to start working out. I want my body to be stronger, which is from a very different place than I hate my body. I want it to be different. And it's not easy. The, the body image thing is such a strongly, strongly domesticated piece that we have to be willing to make the change. And so, the truth is some women aren't. They're not going to be willing to make the change. They're going to spend their entire lives judging themselves and their bodies. But if you have a little bit of willingness, then you can start following different pathways and being creative in your relationship with your body and listening to what do you actually want and how can you give that to yourself? It's interesting, Heather Ash, that you've used this phrase domestication and that even buying into a collective view of body image as a form of 
allowing ourselves to be, quote-unquote, domesticated. What, what exactly do you mean by that word? We domesticate humans the same way that we domesticate animals. And that's through a series of rewards and punishment. So the reward is love and acceptance, and the punishment is the withdrawal of love and acceptance. And so, example, if you are a, a, a young woman that's in school and you look a particular way, you're going to get accepted. And that's the, we domesticate each other. And there'll be certain situations in our lives where we do something that we really want to do that feels like, yes, this is what I want to do as a kid, let's say. And our parents then withdraw their love from us. And we learn, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to speak my truth. I'm not supposed to sing out loud, whatever it is. And domestication is important. We want to domesticate our kids. So, I always say it's helpful to know which fork to use and that you don't stick peas up your nose and to stop at red lights. And those are all agreements that we're making that, that we domesticate ourselves around, that we learn. This is, what it, this is how we are humans together. And yet there are many things that we learn that don't serve us. And they may have served us as a kid, but as adults, they can become harmful. And so if we recognize it's not personal, that the domestication is simply a way that we as humans have learned to, in a way, keep each other in line as much as it might be misguided. And we're domesticated through our schools, we're domesticated through our church, we're domesticated from our peers, from our parents, and our parents were domesticated by their parents who are domesticated by their parents. So it gets passed on. And my favorite story about this is a story of a woman who is talking to her grandmother and asking her grandmother, how come you always cut off the ends of the pot roast? Like her mother had always cut the pot ends of the pot roast and she always cut the ends of the pot roast. And one day she asked her grandma, why do you do that? And her grandma says, oh, well, I used to do that because the pan wasn't big enough. Mm -hmm. And so it had just been passed down. It made sense in one generation for a particular reason, but now it doesn't make any sense at all, yet we're still living from it. And we then start to domesticate ourselves. So if we have, if we're told, don't sing, you don't have a good voice, or we're told you have to be a nice girl, for example, we'll go back to that one, then what happens pretty quickly is we start talking to ourselves and saying, you have to be nice. You have to be quiet. And so we then become our own judge. There isn't anybody else telling us how to be. We're now telling ourselves how to be. The good news about that is that means once we realize what we're telling ourselves, we come back to choice of, is this really what I want? to believe, is this really how I want to be talking to myself? And we can start to shift it. One thing that I think is an interesting thread throughout our conversation has to do with the agreements we've made and that we can uncover what those are through this tracking practice and inquiry practice, I might use that word, that you've been helping point to and illustrate. And, and I'm curious, what do you think about all of the unconscious agreements we have? It seems like so many of us are actually, our lives are being run by agreements we don't even know we made early on, very, very early on, perhaps, you know, in the first couple years of our life, even ways that we invested in certain beliefs and agreements. How do we uncover unconscious agreements? It's so true that we have a tremendous amount of unconscious agreements. And I see it as that the conscious agreements are the tip of the iceberg. And then for all of us, underneath that is this huge mass of unconscious agreements that are really what we're living from. Because the unconscious agreements are often linked to emotion, which means they're very strong. And we don't even recognize that we're acting from them. 
And so the way to begin to bring the unconscious agreements up into our consciousness is by looking at our lives and how we react to things that happen. So to be really honest with ourselves and our unconscious beliefs show up in our actions, show up in our thoughts, show up in our reactions to other things. Anytime that we're triggered, what's happening is an unconscious agreement is starting to go to work, we can say. And so if we can stop and say, okay, what's the unconscious belief here? What might I believe to make me react in this way? Then we can start to get a sense of what our unconscious agreements are. Mm-hmm. But it takes a willingness to be honest because often we want to not see it. We want to make it about the other person. It's their fault I'm feeling this way. Or if my life had been different, this wouldn't be my experience. So it takes courage to turn and say, okay, I'm having an emotional reaction. What am I telling myself right now? Mm-hmm. Very helpful. Thank you. Now, Heather Ash, when I was reading your bio in preparation for this conversation, I discovered that you are a fire walking instructor, that you have led and continue to lead people on fire walks. And I'd love to know how you got involved and what you've learned from fire walking. I love fire walking. I love fire. And I was blessed to go to a fire walk before I met Miguel. And it really changed my life. And what I learned from that first fire walk is that my spirit, my soul, my body knew more than my mind did. Because the first time I walked, my mind was going, this isn't possible. And yet my body knew 100%. I didn't have any doubt that I could walk. And in fact, I could. And so I really learned right away, my mind isn't as trustworthy as I thought it was. Actually, my body knows a lot. And pretty soon after that first firewalk, I got an invitation to become a a firewalk instructor and jumped at the chance. And leading firewalks, and I now train firewalk instructors as well, has been one of the just greatest gifts of my life. Because what we're doing is we're working with the element of transformation, which is fire. And one of the first agreements that we learn is that fire burns. As little kids, you're told, don't touch hot. And we learn really young, fire burns. And so the first time you watch somebody walk across 1,300 degree coals, whether you walk or not, doesn't matter. The first time you just witness someone walk across a bed of hot coals, that agreement shatters. Because you see, you realize it's not true that fire burns all the time. And what happens is every agreement you've ever made since then suddenly becomes suspect and suddenly opens your mind to new possibilities. And I've seen people go to firewalks and then do radical changes in their life because suddenly they're unlimited. They realize how powerful we are as humans. And it's a very physical, visceral, joyful experience. It's something we as humans have been doing for thousands and thousands of years. Really, as long as we've been in relationship to fire, we've been walking on it as humans. So it's also a beautiful ritual and ceremony that brings us back into relationship with the elements. Now, how many seconds am I spending walking on top of 1,300 degree coals? It depends on how you're walking. So I've seen people walk very quickly. I've also witnessed people dance across the coals, spin around the coals, stand on the coals. But are we talking three to five seconds? Are we talking a minute? What are we talking about? It's usually, yeah, I'd say three to five seconds for most normal walks. Um, I've also witnessed 50-foot firewalks and 
you spend a significant amount of time on the coals when you're doing a long walk like that. That's not something we do with the public. But I have literally witnessed people standing on the coals for like 30 seconds, bright red hot coals before they then step off. And it really is about our energy and our relationship to the fire, which is part of what we teach in the workshop is how to be in relationship with the fire in a new way. So you've walked down a 50-foot firewalk yourself? I, I have, yes. And I think the longest firewalk was like 1,500 feet. Have you done that? No, I have not done that. But I've witnessed, I watched a video of it. This person walked back and forth, like a 100-foot firewalk that he walked to one end, turned around, walked back, turned around, walked back. It was quite impressive. And what's the secret in terms of your mental orientation in order to make it... like I can imagine the three to five seconds. That doesn't blow my mind, but even getting to 50 feet starts to blow my mind a little bit. What's happening inside of you mentally before you step out and do that? The whole piece with firewalking is around energy and that what we're doing is we're raising our energy to match the energy of the fire. And so that's one of the things we teach people to do is that our bodies are incredibly wise. And if you tell your body, hot, cold, raise your energy, then you can pass, then you, you merge with the coals, basically. I've also witnessed people that have raised their energy, brought so much energy into their being that when they walk over the coals, they literally put the coals out. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You've, you've seen Seriously. that? Mm-hmm. I have witnessed that. There are so many crazy stories around firewalking that the brain just goes, what? There is um, a man who witnessed women in India. Firewalking is from Tibet and India, as far as we can tell. And witnessed women walking across hot coals with their saris dragging behind them on the coals. And their saris didn't catch on fire. And so he decided... He was trying to figure out, well, what's really flammable that I could run this experiment with? And so he put pantyhose on and did a fire walk. And he was fine. So it's something beyond physics. And physics can explain why we wouldn't feel the pain or the heat, but it can't explain why we don't burn and how we can do things like walk on fire with pantyhose and nothing happens. Hmm. I've walked on fires with Band-Aids on my feet and the Band-Aids were fine. And then I peel them off and put them on the coals and they go. Whoop. So there's something else going on with fire walking. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just want to ask you, I just want, I, I want to experience it. I, ho- I hope I get the chance. You and I talked about that. And so I think yeah. that would be wonderful for Heather Ashby to come to Sounds True and let our company firewalk. I hope we get the chance to do that <laughs> this year. Me Just too. two more questions for you. In the beginning of your book, Warrior Goddess Training, you pay tribute to Don Miguel Ruiz's mother, Madre Sarita. And you pay tribute to her for the way that she guided you and has worked with you in bringing forth the Toltec lineage, even after her death. And I was curious to know more about that, about your relationship with Madre Sarita. Mm, She was such an incredible woman and an incredible force of nature. And I was blessed to meet her and to get to work with her when she was alive. And what I found is that after she died, that I still felt a really strong connection with her and that she will come to me in my dreams sometimes that she'll pass information on. And every year when I'm down in Mexico at Teotihuacan, there's a little shrine to her. And I go and do my offerings and prayers to her. And I just feel like there's the, the spirit of the feminine that's been passed forward in my relationship with her. And I'm really honored to take forward the Toltec lineage that she was Miguel's teacher and now she's my teacher as well and continues to support and guide me Mm -hmm. with her love. Mm. 
And then finally, Heather Ash, you talk about the warrior goddess movement, that this actually could be, is, a movement of some kind. Warrior goddesses joining together. Tell me what your vision is for the warrior goddess movement. It's so fun because my the reality has already so exceeded my vision, which is so delightful, that when the book came out, I had this feeling that it's time for women to have an inner revolution and that we need community. We need sisters. We need inspiration. And so what's happened with the book is that women on their own started creating book clubs and circles. And there are now circles all over the world of women that get together once a month, some of them once a week, to go through the chapters of the book and to talk about their experience and to support each other. And I'm also in the process of training warrior goddess facilitators to teach and, and bring the teachings more deeply to people. And that, that place of community of women coming together is so vital that we really need each other. And whether that's in person, if we can do it face-to-face, that's wonderful. But there's also a lot of different opportunities online through Facebook. We have an incredible warrior goddess tribe on Facebook that keeps growing. And the women, it has a life of its own. Women supporting each other, not trying to fix each other, but genuinely showing up to support each other and inspire and cheerlead each other. I've been speaking with Heather Ash Amara. With Sounds True, she's created a new program that's called the Warrior Goddess Online Training, Becoming the Woman You're Meant to Be. It's an eight-week online training series. It includes two live question-and-answer sessions with Heather Ash Amara, and it begins on April 4th, an eight-week online training series, the Warrior Goddess Online Training. Heather Ash, thank you so much for being a guest on Insights at the Edge. Thank you, and thanks for all the brave work you're doing. And I can't wait to firewalk with you. Me too. Thank you so much, Tammy, for everything. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.